testing. Goodness gracious me, ladies and gentlemen, your big meaty heroes are back for more punishment. As Big Meaty Cool and the Meat Guy return to your ear holes for episode 2 of the One Man's Meat Podcast. As always, I'm Chris, aka Big Meaty Cool, and I would be nothing without my tag team partner, a king amongst men, a walking encyclopedia of all things wrestling, the fantastic, the comparable, Demi Guy, Danny, the Scottish Juggalo. Danny, how's it going, brother? Really well, thank you very much, Chris. We, we've made it to episode two. I'm very shocked. <laughs> we've made it to episode two, buddy, and um, you're quite the superstar, mate. I've been enjoying you very much on Nitro Nights. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been really enjoying that, doing that with uh, the great side pal. Awesome, and uh, I mean the two of you work very well together. Because anybody that makes me um, want want to watch Fall Brawl '95 before I listen to an episode uh, reviewing it must be a good thing. So, kudos to you both. Um, but I'm really enjoying it, buddy. And um, you guys flow really well. Um, it, it's awesome that you're getting to watch some WCW, so that it's not a massive shock when we start digging into some of that ourselves. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for you, man. Well done. Thank you very much. Awesome. So, but this is not a Nitro Nights loving. This is one man's meat, and we are proud to be part of the Unbooking the Territory family of podcasts. The main episodes of the show will appear exclusively on the UTT podcast feed before they appear on our main feed seven days later. And you can find our feed by searching for One Man's Meat podcast in your podcast provider. We are available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, and Google Podcasts as well as all providers that piggyback off those feeds. However, any bonus shows that we make, including guest hosts, will be only available on our main feed. So do please subscribe to that. And of course, any and all reviews that you feel like giving us through your podcast providers are very much appreciated as they will help increase our awareness. And talking of bonus shows, we do have an announcement concerning our first spin-off series coming up at the end of this episode. So please stay tuned. So, Danny, episode one was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yep, definitely. I mean, uh, it was something that uh, no one's really reviewed, have they? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I might have said this at the time. Uh, there's one podcast that actually reviewed the show at the time of it coming out and all they focused on was the fact that they didn't like Juggalos very much and ripped the show to shreds but 
as we proved on our obviously superior review. That's really not what this JCW show was about. Um, so, yeah, boo sucks to them. And yay for the power of positivity. Yay. <laughs> and talking of positivity, we have had some lovely feedback from our listeners to dive into before we start. So, Daddy Rob at UTT Rob called the show, and I quote, prime cuts of grade A wrestling goodness. But, Danny, he couldn't believe that you didn't mention how Stevie Richards won the 2004 Royal Rumble. I know, I let him down. I uh, I feel very, very ashamed of myself because I've been uh, campaigning that uh, Stevie Richards uh, was Chris Benoit for the last, I don't know, since... I think since 2007. So how Absolutely. I let that slip, um, I, d- I have no idea. Well, never mind. So just for uh, just for Daddy Number One's benefit, Stevie Richards won the 2004 Royal Rumble. However, Daddy Dan at Dan Griffin 21 thoroughly enjoyed the first episode, and we have convinced him that he needs to witness JCW's legends and icons for himself, as it sounds like an entertaining train wreck of a show, which it certainly was, wasn't it, pal? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I got a private message from Andy, a.k.a. Triple A, Aberdeen Angus Andy, from the much-missed Bang Bang podcast at Bang Bang Andy, And he sent me a message to say how proud of us he was and that we will smash it. And uh, I am certainly missing the Monday Night Wars at the moment, mate. Let's let's hope it comes back soon. I think he'll be back sooner than we think. Definitely, definitely. He's taking a a new path in his career, which I'm very happy for the guy. And uh, hopefully it'll free him some time up to return to the airways because he has been sadly missed. And then one of your broadcast colleagues, Cy Powell, a.k.a. Cy Sausages, uh, SJP Words, uh, sent us both a lovely message saying how he loved the episode and the sooner that he can hear more of us, the better. And as I mentioned earlier, um, you can hear more of yourself and Cy on Nitro Nights, can't we, buddy? Absolutely, yep. Yep, definitely. So that's on a, a Thursday, isn't it, bud, when that comes out? Yep, every Thursday. Brilliant. That's great. Well, we can plug that towards the end of the show. Please do, because I want people to hear more of you, mate. Um, So also, incredibly, another one of your broadcast colleagues, the absolute legend and don of British podcasting, that is Mags, a.k.a. Bernard Mags News, or Podfather Mags on Twitter, gave us a shout out on his chain wrestling podcast with Cy Sausages, saying, and I quote, Brilliant. Loved it. Such a fun episode. Really, really enjoyed it and can't wait for how this podcast goes down. Now, Danny, with these words coming from such a legend in the game, did your head explode as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Mags is the lord of all podcasting. Um, it really, really did mean a lot uh, to hear that on, um, and to see it as well, because we watched it on uh, as it was happening, didn't we? We did, yeah, yeah, we were listening live uh, that day, and uh, yeah, speaking personally, it meant the absolute world that these five in particular took the time to give us some feedback, because these guys have been huge inspirations to us, and um, they were the reasons that I wanted to create something as well, so we really are blessed to be part of such a positive community of fans, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah, this is the best thing, I've been on Twitter for uh, just over 12 years and this is the best uh, the best time we've had meeting these guys 
Absolutely. It just goes to show you that um, wrestling Twitter isn't just a hive of scum and villainy. There is some lovely positivity out there as well, and long may it continue. 100%. 100%. And then our final review uh, came from my lovely wife, Mrs. Naomi Bellis, a.k.a. Miss Beef Elizabeth. I'm really scraping the barrel with these nicknames now. Uh, but she told me personally, because she doesn't believe in social media, that while she had no idea what we were talking about, it was obvious that we did, that we had really good flow and that we appeared to be gelling well without any awkwardness. And her only gripe, mate, was that we talked about men's bodies too much. But as I told her, everybody knows that homoeroticism is an important element of being a wrestling fan. (laughs) But the less said about that, the better. Uh, Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the feedback section out the way. And thank you to everybody that has um, said kind things about us on Twitter or in person. Um, it means a lot to Danny and I as we start this journey together. Um, and it's I think it, it spurred me on definitely to do this more often. It's it's uh, something that's constantly on my mind to do. So, uh, so yeah, once, once again, guys, thank you very much. But we now come to the part of the show where we ask one another, what's your beef? This part of the show is where we take a few minutes to talk about something that has piqued our interest this month, whether it be a TV show, a movie, an album, a band, a book, a wrestling show, whatever it may be, it's something that we just want to share with the world out there. So, Danny, for this month, what is your beef, sir? Well, um, a few people know um, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago and uh, my neighbours got me uh, the entire season of uh, Bad Girls, if you remember Bad Girls. from uh, I the do? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I've been uh, getting right into that and uh, um, yeah, I would say that was definitely my, my beef. How about yours, sir? Well, um, a bit of love for Bad Girls there as well. I, I enjoyed that back in the day, so I'm, I'm quite glad you enjoy that, pal. Um, are you sure we're not brothers? <laughs> most probably. <laughs> most probably, most probably. I mean, you did spend some time in Hull, so you never know. Stranger things have happened. Yep, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, so, mate, um, I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but but my beef this month has been Progress Wrestling. Mm. So um, they've returned recently Um to basically live wrestling in front of fans with their chapter 127 card now for me i lost interest in progress somewhere around chapter 20 Uh, the wrestling has always been quality but as an organization it felt really cultish to me and as good of a booker as jim smallman is um I, i love his stuff with nxt uk I found his ring announcing to be a huge turn-off. I mean, the guy's a stand-up comedian, but he just didn't know how to kind of get to the point when he was going on one of his soliloquies. And furthermore, one of the big things that really knocks me off about certain companies is when they tell you how punk they are, um, it it really turns me off. Like, real punks don't go around telling people how punk they are. And secondly, if a company is going to follow a punk ethos, it needs to show throughout the whole company's practices and they need to be consistent. There has been more than enough dirt flying around about um, that other famous punk company, Brewdog, especially in the news this week, if we're keeping it topical. Um, and there's many 
many podcasts out there that have covered the downfall of the first incarnation of progress um however they are now under new management um the lovely lads behind wrestling travel and tranmere rovers who are lee mcateer and martin best have taken over the reins uh, so i watched the first show on the network when it became available and everything about it just felt enjoyable um they've replaced jim smallman on ring announcing duties with simon miller he did an amazing job doing the ring announcing and hosting i felt he came off better than jim because he basically just got on with it he got to the point um, and he was quite funny as well you know quite light and airy every single match on the card was decent and they actually kept faith in the workers that had been playing to no crowds um on prior chapters which i was a big fan of because there's some really good workers there that deserve to be discovered so it was massively enjoyable um and i'm looking forward to catching chapter 128 once it hits the network i don't know if you've had a chance to catch progress since they came back mate have you um no i haven't but i've really enjoyed your tweets um a couple weeks ago when you was uh um, tweeting about that so it does sound interesting yeah i mean if if you get a spare couple of hours buddy it's a it's a really really good card i I can recommend it and like i say i think um i think the next chapter comes onto the network this week i think Uh, they they had the show on sunday i think so hopefully um they normally give like a, a week's wait until it comes on their services so yeah i can recommend it buddy i'm I'm definitely ready to give it another try oh thank you i will check it out awesome well the beef's been cooked and it's time to move on to our main course so danny what are we going to be talking about this month well today chris we will be talking about something that not many people talk about which is uh the brief run of uh, andrew test martin in tna and uh, this was a very, it was like a, a very, very short run. Um, he just made a couple of shows, but um, we're going to get into it. And I'm looking forward to it today. How do you feel about this topic? Well, I'm looking forward to it as well, buddy. I mean, I got excited back in the day when Tess did make his debut for TNA. And uh, I was very excited about what could have happened for him. But before we get to that... Um, we need to have a rundown, really, on the pre-TNA career of Test. Now, pre-warning, boys and girls, this is not going to be a brief rundown because um, Andrew Martin did an awful lot more in wrestling than you would like to think. But Andrew James Robert Patrick Martin was a Canadian professional wrestler and actor. He was best known for his time in the WWF slash WWE under the ring name of Test where during his nine-year tenure with that company, he found success as a singles performer, winning the Intercontinental and European titles once each, and the Hardcore Championship twice, and also found success in the tag team division, where he twice became a World Tag Team Champion with Booker T, by winning the WWF and WCW World Tag Team Championships once each, and an underrated tag team they were, weren't they, pal? Definitely, yeah. They were one that I remember as a small child uh, really liking those two. Yeah, they were great. They really were. They were definitely a a bright spot in the invasion. So, in the mid-1990s, Andrew Martin met professional wrestler Bret Hart, who offered to train him to wrestle, where he spent eight months training under both Bret and Leo Burke, before debuting in 1997 on the Canadian independent circuit under the ring names Martin Kane and TJ Thunder, which is a fantastic name for a wrestler, I might say. 
It really is. It's so 90s. Definitely, definitely. He continued his training with Dory Funk Jr. at Funk's Funkin' Dojo in Ocala, Florida, before debuting in the World Wrestling Federation on the October 25th, 1998 episode of Sunday Night Heat as an unnamed bodyguard for the band Motley Crue, who were performing on the show. And then on December the 14th, 1998 episode of Rory's War, he aligned himself with the Evil Corporation, receiving the ring name Test. So, a bit of an auspicious debut, but um, he soon got himself um, into a prominent position in a big storyline for the company, didn't he? He did, yeah. I mean, he was rumoured to be uh, debuting as a part of D-Generation X, but uh, for whatever reason, that got nixed, and uh, he ended up in the corporation. Yeah, he did. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it was any great harm, really. I, th- I think it gave him a, an opportunity to kind of, you know, build his talent up um, while being part of a, a prominent storyline. Um, I mean, personally, it might have been cool seeing how he looked in DX, but at the same time, you can understand why he wasn't in the group. Um, I, I don't know whether he would have suited the ethos, really, because he, he probably didn't have the confidence behind the mic that he might have needed in a group like that, maybe. Yeah, definitely, especially at that time, and him being so new. Exactly. So, after being removed from the corporation, he joined the Union, which was a group that briefly feuded with the corporation and defeated the corporate ministry in an eight-man elimination tag match at Over the Edge before quietly disbanding. Um, Thoughts on the Union, Danny? Did you uh, ever see anything of them? I hadn't seen uh, them until I started researching this, but they had a banging theme song, didn't they? They absolutely did, yeah, um, with the the whole... uh, noise and everything that they nicked off Tugboat, another former world champion that's been buried in obscurity. Yep. (laughs) So Tess would then begin an on-screen relationship with Stephanie McMahon that would lead to a love her or leave her match at SummerSlam, where he went on to defeat Shane McMahon before gaining Shane's blessing, leading to an on-screen engagement between Stephanie and Tess, but on the night of the wedding, Triple H showed a video which revealed that he had drugged Stephanie and had taken her to Las Vegas, Nevada, where he married her in a drive-through ceremony. Stephanie then turned on test and aligned herself with Triple H, ushering in the McMahon-Helmsley era, which would then lead Tess to having a short feud with DX. Then on the January 17th episode of Rory's War for the year 2000, Tess defeated the Big Boss Man to win the WWF Hardcore Championship before losing the title to Crash Holly on the February 24th episode of SmackDown. Tess then turned heel and formed a tag team with Matt Bloom, aka Albert, known as TNA, who were managed by Trish Stratus. So, three legends of the ring getting together there, bud. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, they're all starting their careers as well on television there. Absolutely, and uh, TNA were a very solid mid-card tag team. Um, however, on December the 28th, 2000, Albert attacked Test at the orders of Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, disbanding TNA and turning Test face again. So once again a singles wrestler, he eliminated William Regal during the 2001 Royal Rumble match and then subsequently defeated him the next night on Raw to win the WWF European Championship, entering a feud with Eddie Guerrero, 
who he then lost the European title to at WrestleMania X7, following interference from Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn. In a surprisingly good match, actually. Yeah, it was a really good piece of business, wasn't it? It was. I mean, even the fact that, you know, Test got his leg caught in the ring and they actually made it look like it was planned. I mean, everything about that match just flowed together really well. Really well, I loved it. Definitely. Yeah, so once again without a title, on the June 14th episode of SmackDown, Test defeated Rhino to win the Hardcore Championship, but he would lose that title back to Rhino on the following episode of War is Raw. During the Invasion storyline, the APA, which was Farouk and Bradshaw, was suspicious of Test's friendship with Shane McMahon, who at the time was the owner of WCW. Prior to Shane's heel turn and the formation of the Alliance, they decided to attack Test because they thought he was Shane's mole within the company, only to find out he wasn't. In retaliation, on the August 9th, 2001 episode of SmackDown, Test turned heel once again by joining the Alliance by helping Alliance members DDP and Chris Canyon defeat the APA for the WWF Tag Team Championships. He would then begin teaming with Booker T regularly in September 2001, and together they defeated the Brothers of Destruction on the September 27th episode of SmackDown to win the WCW Tag Team titles. However, they would go on to lose those titles to the Hardy Boys on the October 8th episode of Raw. Then on the November 1st episode of SmackDown, Test and Booker T defeated The Rock and Chris Jericho to win the WWF Tag Team titles, which they would then go on to lose to the Hardy Boys 11 days later on Raw. And like we said, a good little tag team there um, with a good couple of wins. Definitely. Definitely. Following this, Test returned to singles competition and began feuding with Edge, defeating him to win the WWF Intercontinental Championship. However, Test lost it back to Edge in a unification match at the Survivor Series, with the WCW United States Championship also on the line. But on the same night, he won a Battle Royal which granted him on-screen immunity from being fired for a year after attacking and taking the place of Scotty 2 Hottie, the absolute dastard. (laughs) Scotty was robbed. (laughs) He was, definitely. That immunity should have belonged to him. Could you imagine a, a WWE where... Scotty too hot to decided he could do whatever he wanted. I wonder what he'd get away with, you know. <laughs> he would do anything. He could do the worm anywhere he wants, not just in the ring. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, if we ever decide to do that uh, fantasy booking offshoot, we could maybe uh, book Scotty too hotty, um, you know, with, with no conscience, you know, just see what happens there. <laughs> I'm writing that down now, actually. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Good man. So for the next few weeks following this, the storyline was built around Test using his immunity to justify attacking fellow wrestlers. However, the storyline went nowhere and shortly after the year turned, it had been dropped. But at the 2002 WWE Draft Lottery, Test was drafted to the SmackDown brand. And on the July 4th episode of SmackDown, Test, Christian and Lance Storm formed the Un-Americans, which was a very underrated stable, wasn't it, buddy? It really was. I mean, uh, it was. they got heel heats. Whether people liked them or not, they actually got heel heats. They did. But sadly, they didn't stay on SmackDown for long. Uh, they left on the 29th of July and joined the Raw brand that same night, where they attacked The Undertaker. With this new storyline culminating in a match at SummerSlam, where The Undertaker defeated Test. After a series of losses, the Un-Americans divided and the stable split in brawling fashion 
disbanding in September 2002. So kind of petered out before it had a chance to take off, but again, very underrated stable. And I loved the fact that they used the the simple ethos of just being anti-American to really, you know, gain heat. It worked, didn't it? Especially after the 9/11 uh, incident. Um, oh, definitely. It yeah. was it was uh, the right time to do this. To be honest with you, it really was. It really was. So after the Un-Americans dissolved, Test received Stacy Keebler as his on-screen girlfriend and image consultant, which began by Keebler telling Test that he should embrace his fan brace and call them his testicles. This eventually culminated with Test cutting off his long hair and trading in his trademark leather pants for normal wrestling trunks. The couple were originally heels, but due to the popularity of the gimmick, quickly became faces. And in May of that year, Test formed a tag team with the returning Scott Steiner at the request of Stacy. And at Judgment Day 2003, they faced La Resistance in a losing effort. Later in the night, Test went on to compete in a battle royal for the vacant Intercontinental Championship, which was eventually won by Christian. Test and Keebler eventually split up due to the ongoing mistreatment of Keebler at the hands of Test, while turning him heel again and developing a misogynist streak. At Bad Blood, Scott Steiner defeated Test for Keebler's managerial services, but on the August 18th episode of Raw, Test defeated Steiner, winning the services of Keebler again and announcing his intentions to make her a whore, of all things. Oh, Christ. I know the poor girl. Oh, she's lovely. You know, when people, um, just on the sidebar, when people criticise Vince Russo for his writing and things like that, I think, why are you letting Brian Gowartz get away with a lot of things when he wrote, he was the head writer for this? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I still personally think that Vince Russo is scared of women, but he's he's not just, you know, he's not the only villain in the piece when it comes to mismanaging the booking of female workers. Definitely. Definitely. So, Unforgiven, Tess defeated Steiner again, forcing him to become his manservant, leading Scott Steiner to attack Stacey Keeler because she'd been involved in the finish, blaming her for the loss and for him having to take orders from another man, meaning that Tess freed Steiner from his obligation and they became a tag team again, as they were now both treating Stacey like a slave. It was a terrible year for her, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, this storyline went on for eight months and the only thing that came out of it, in my opinion, that really good thing, was a really good uh, um, promo video that aired on Unforgiven 2003 and it had uh, Suffocate by the band Cold. I don't know if you remember that video package. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do very much. It it was burned into my memory because I was a, a massive Cold fan. So, yeah, any chance to hear them, it was very much welcomed at the time and I, th- I think it's one of the few um, songs that's still on the network as well from that yeah, time it is yeah luckily yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't a fan of it at all I mean um, it just it seemed like it would have been better if the roles were reversed if Scott Steiner was the heel and Test was the face it just seemed out of place yeah definitely definitely but then you know they didn't really give a lot of effort towards Scott Steiner anyway, did they? So they probably weren't going to build on this storyline very much, unfortunately. No, no, <laughs> no. So um, as anticipated, this team would not achieve very much at all and would just quietly disband, leading Test to begin a short feud with Stephen Richards in January 2004, just prior to him winning the Royal Rumble that year. 
Davey is the best damn technical wrestler uh, in the history of the business. Absolutely. It is criminal that he only had one reign as World Heavyweight Champion. Should have had many, Definitely. many. Definitely. Yeah. So this feud started after Test kicked Victoria in the jaw. Whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, but knowing Test at the time, he probably just felt like it, and there just happened to be a camera there at the time. Who knows? So they feuded several times on Sunday Night Heat, with Richards winning every match because he was the king of Sunday Night Heat, after all. That that Sunday Night Heat run with Richards was just it was something of, of legend, wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. It really was. Good old Stevie Night Heat. So Test would start competing against the likes of Rico regularly on Heat, before eventually just competing on house shows until he re-aggravated his neck injury that had kept him out of action over the past few months. So Test then had spinal fusion surgery in July 2004, and then on November the 1st of that year, it was announced that he had been released from his WWE contracts along with A-Train and Billy Gunn. Oh, I remember as a very small teenager going on uh, whatever the dirt side wrestle zone or whatever it was and reading those three names and just thinking that WWE was going to close down because I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't uh, used to that. There was a huge list, wasn't there? Th- those were the top three. But I was thinking, are they just are they closing down? I mean, two, three top guys that I really enjoyed, A-Train, Billy Gunn and Test, all gone in one. I was very shocked. Yeah, like this was back when, um, you know, larger lists of releases were an actual shock. Um, Not like now where you go to bed at night wondering, I wonder how many people are going to get cut tonight. Definitely. Definitely. So after a period of rest and recuperation, Martin returned to the ring in May of 2005, accepting bookings with various independent promotions. One of his most notable victories during this tenure was against Samoa Joe for World Series Wrestling in Australia. But his most prominent role in the independent circuit was for the Italian company New Wrestling Evolution, where he took on the ring name Bigfoot due to his big boot finishing manoeuvre. Very imaginative there, lads. Um, He also feuded with Mark Jindrak in January 2006 while he was with the company. Around the time of Eddie Guerrero's sad passing, Test wrote a blog on his MySpace page where he discussed what a wrestler goes through. He writes, I'm going to break down the reality of this business we call wrestling. I can think of at least 15 to 20 people who have died from various things, mostly prescription painkillers. For all you wannabe wrestlers who want to get in this business, especially now when WWE doesn't pay you any more than you would make at a nine to five job, let me break some things down for you. When I started wrestling, I had never seen or heard a Vicodin or Percocet, or Soma. How come that so many wrestlers die from these medications and football and hockey players don't? The answer is simple. Wrestlers, especially WWE wrestlers, work five days a week, all year long, taking bump after bump in the ring. A doctor explained it to me like this. Every time you take a fall in the ring, it's like getting rear-ended by your car going 20 miles per hour. So how many bumps in the ring a night do you take? Multiply that by how many times a week you work all year long. I can remember hearing a conversation from some unnamed WWE guys talking about how this certain person needs to go to rehab, but they couldn't send him because he was too important to the show. That's the reality, people. 
That is how we are treated. Look at me. I break my neck in the ring. Had to have two discs taken out of my neck and a steel plate put in. And was told by Johnny Ace when I asked if my job would be in jeopardy. He said, we don't fire people with injuries like that. Hmm, that's funny. Because two months after surgery, I got fired because I wasn't working. My seven years of busting my ass for them and putting over the boss's son while my foot was broken in a cast was all forgotten about. I remember when I was being trained by Brett and I met Bad News Alan. He said this to me and I'll never forget it. All wrestlers are puppets to Vince and when he's done playing with you, he throws you away. But sometimes he'll dust you off, bring you back and play with you some more. That's the truth, people. When Johnny Ace called me, and told me they were releasing me. I said to him, what kind of message are you sending the boys that if they get hurt, they're going to get fired? So all the guys who don't want to lose their job, what do they do? Pop a couple of Percocet or Vicodin to mask the pain, because God forbid they say they're hurt and lose their job. I'm not going to name any names, but I know at least a dozen wrestlers who are addicted to these things for that very reason. Get hurt, lose your job. I just turned 30. My back aches every day. I have a metal plate in my neck. And yes, I got into the business at the right time. And I have a lot of nice things. But is it worth it? You guys don't see the ugly side of this business. Yes, wrestling is entertainment. But the bumps and bruises are real. And sometimes they don't go away. So think long and hard before you get in this business. Because I can tell you firsthand that if you're not making or making any money at all, they don't give an SHIT about you. Don't take your life for granted. It's a gift. Don't go to bed mad and tell the people you care about you love them because you never know. Take care. Very powerful. Very, Very powerful. Heavy stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, Test goes on to write a number of blogs and uh, they're all quite long, as that has shown. But, um, I mean, he, he doesn't. He doesn't sugarcoat anything there, does he? I'm really surprised they brought him back after that. I mean, if that was posted today, that person would be blackballed. And as uh, I guess for him, it was a good thing the internet wasn't as big uh, as it is uh, now because that oh, was definitely. viral. Um, it's a shock that didn't go viral, actually. But um, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, if this was 10 years later, I mean, like you say, he wouldn't have gone on to to return to the company, but return he did. On March the 22nd, 2006, WWE.com announced that Test had verbally agreed to return to WWE. Subsequently, vignettes began to play during ECW on Sci-Fi, announcing that Test was debuting on the brand, and he officially made his return on the July 4th episode of ECW, defeating Al Snow. In late July, Test aligned with the fellow ECW newcomers, Mike Knox, Big Show and Matt Stryker, to feud with the ECW originals, which consisted of Rob Van Dam, Sabu and the Sandman. And this was a cool little feud as well, wasn't it? Just just prior to the whole new breed stuff. Yeah, it was really uh, interesting because uh, he was elevating young talent like Mike Knox, uh, mixing them in with the experience like Test and Big Show. So it was really, really um, interesting to see. It was, and Test was carving out a niche uh, as a nice little main event level heel for that brand. And on the November 7th episode of ECW, 
Test defeated Tommy Dreamer to earn a spot in the Extreme Elimination Chamber at December to Dismember 2006. At December to Dismember, he eliminated Hardcore Holly and Rob Van Dam in the Extreme Elimination Chamber match for the ECW World Championship before being pinned by the eventual winner, Bobby Lashley. On the January 16, 2007 episode of ECW, Test competed in a triple threat match for the ECW World Championship, which was again won by Bobby Lashley. The following week, Test faced Lashley again for the title, but failed to win. He would fail to defeat Lashley on two further occasions, at the 2007 Royal Rumble and on the January 30th episode of ECW. Now, following these defeats, Martin would again disappear from WWE television. And on February the 18th, commentator Jim Ross confirmed that Test had been suspended for 30 days for violating the WWE wellness programme on his blog. A week after Ross had made this announcement, it was reported that Test was officially released from his WWE contract. He released a statement through his MySpace saying that the release was mutual and that he had requested it. So that takes us up to the main portion of our episode. However, before we move on, Danny, let's talk a little bit about our favourite test moments. So what moments in tests pre-TNA career or moments even stand out the most for you? Um, I would definitely say the ECW debut because uh, I was shocked um, seeing him. When he came back, he was actually more jacked than he had ever been, wasn't he? He was um, Yeah, he was absolutely massive. And he just dominated um, Al Snow, even kicked uh, Al Snow's gimmick head into the uh, audience. Um, And yeah, that was definitely the most impressed I've ever seen with him. How about yourself, bud? So for me... um... I've technically got two, but my main one was um, the time following his victory in the Immunity Battle Royal. Um, At this point, he was at the height of his obnoxious heel powers, and I loved his work at the time. As a heel, where he'd spent so much time being a a squeaky clean face, um, the fact that finally he'd he'd had enough. um, You know, this is a guy who, in kayfabe, had been stepped on at every opportunity. You know, he'd lost the girl he loved, and his opportunity to move up in the company because of this McMahon-Helmsley faction. So he would be mad at the world, but he just decided, you know, that he was going to have fun while he was doing it. So I loved that. However, I do also have a real soft spot for the early weeks of the testicle era before he became the world's strongest misogynist. Brilliant. Yeah. Did, Did you love testicles, Danny? Um, I didn't because uh, um, I just, I think because of the writing uh, around it, it kind of just, it was left to humiliate Test and um, he could have been pushed into a main event scene at this point, but it was kind of looked at as a jobber um, because of this storyline. But I mean, at least he got him on television, so I can't, it's not all bad. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was, it was funny for a couple of weeks, I suppose. Um, but then when you're a guy the size of Test, you shouldn't really be playing to comedy, should you? No, no, definitely not. And I think in t- in typical WWE fashion, they just played it out too long. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Andrew Martin had finally escaped the clutches of WWE. After his departure, he debuted in TNA Wrestling as a face under the new name of the Punisher, Andrew Martin, on the August 2nd, 
2007 episode of TNA Impact. That was a, a very big shock to me. I remember I had one of those 3G phones and um, it used to somehow used to have a, a text come through from uh, one of these dirt sheets that I referred to earlier. I think I think it was a wrestle zone, and uh, it said. Uh, XWW star uh, comes to TNA and I was thinking who's this and then you click on it, it says the Punisher and I was thinking who's the Punisher and then um, you see a, like, a little image and his test and you're like wow so I had no idea I did not think he was going to debut in TNA um, where was you when this happened um, in your life Chris uh, well um, I would have probably been doing the same sort of thing so um, I would have regularly had a wrestling news site open at my desk at my old job um and yeah the the news had appeared with some impact results i believe because we weren't getting impacts the same week at the time i, I believe at this point mm. we were still relying on the old wrestling channel i think yes so yeah, we were i think about a month or maybe two weeks behind the states anyway so the fact that this news had appeared on, I think it might have been com actually, or something like that, it was a huge surprise, but something I was looking forward to watch. Mm. Definitely. I think we was on Bravo at this point. Um, they'd left the wrestling channel. Uh, we were on Bravo. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because, um, yeah, they were a couple of weeks behind so that they could then show the pay-per-views as part of their deal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. that's right. So, yes, I, I do remember now. But, yeah, I, I definitely tuned in to that episode to see his amazing debut. So following his monumental debut, The Punisher released another lengthy blog post. So put the kettle on, ladies and gentlemen. I'm about to read. So I guess by now the cat's out of the bag. And as many of you know, I took my ball to TNA. I never wanted to deceive any of you. Trust me, I was excited about going, but it was something that we tried to make a secret. You have to admit, in this day and age, that's hard to do. I mean, you guys usually know before I do what's going on. It's not that I want to keep secrets from my fans, but don't you guys just miss the old way of a good old-fashioned surprise in wrestling? Remember when a WWF guy would show up in WCW and vice versa? It made the show always more exciting, no matter what or who it was. Remember seeing Lex Luger on Raw and Nitro the same night? That was a great surprise. I have to thank all you guys. I've never received so many positive messages and reactions from you guys about my decision to join TNA, and I want to thank you for that. I also want to thank the fans that were at the Impact Zone in Orlando for the greatest reaction I can ever remember getting in wrestling. Most of all, I want to thank everyone at TNA for making me realise why I wanted to be a wrestler in the first place, something that had been beaten out of me by years of politics, ass-kissing, backstabbing, empty promises that never came, having to listen to Vince's yes-men, because everyone there doesn't want to rock the boat. Thank you for making me realise that I wanted to be a wrestler because it's fun, and I'd forgotten how much fun you can have. I know TNA stands for Total Non-Stop Action, but I learned last night that it also stands for Totally No Assholes. Brilliant. I want to thank everyone for making me feel right at home right away and seeing firsthand what a wrestling company really should be. 
I'm not here to bash other wrestling companies and I have no regrets. But in just one night at TNA, I felt more comfortable than I did anywhere else. Everyone is so hands-on and so positive. I mean, I loved watching the guys watch the matches, hoping that everyone had a great match. I'm so used to the guys watching the monitor, cutting up the matches, only to tell the guys when they got to the back, great match. I'll be honest, I didn't sleep much Sunday night. I was excited, nervous, and wasn't sure what to expect. But that all changed last night, when all the TNA fans gave me, without question, one of the greatest moments of my career, with your huge roar. My ears were ringing, and inside I had a smile a mile long. Thank you, because to be honest, I was ready to walk away from wrestling, and it would have been a shame, because I would never have gotten to experience what a great group there is at TNA. So please tune in to watch TNA every Thursday night at 9pm Eastern Time on Spike TV and see what a great company with a group of guys and girls with all hearts can accomplish. I know I had a blast. So, yeah. mate, going into the pay-per-view, our boys had high hopes and positivity. He really did. I mean, this was an era where every guy from WWE who'd go to TNA would say a very similar thing, uh, whether it be on a shoot, a shoot interview or a blog post like this or an interview with The Sun, as they were getting interviewed a lot by the UK newspapers about this time, and you'd hear generally the same thing. Um, you could see where he was really, uh, yep, yeah, as you said, high hopes. Definitely, definitely. And the Punisher was all set to make an impression at TNA Wrestling's next pay-per-view offering, Hard Justice 2007, where he would team with Sting and Abyss to face Christian's coalition of Captain Charisma Christian Cage, Tomko and AJ Styles in the dreaded Doomsday Chamber of Blood match. So, Danny, let's break this match down, shall we? Absolutely. I mean, uh, just before we do... Uh, I just wanted to say TNA at this point was trying a lot of different match types. Um, mm. I made a post about it the other day, but um, I'll retweet it when this episode comes out. They had uh, so many weird concepts like Last Rites, Texas Death Match, King of the Mountain, all around this time. And uh, so it was natural that they had to choose, they had to have something like this in. Um, but yep, we can get into it now. Absolutely. So, um, before we do, um, thoughts on how Justice 2007 as a pay-per-view? It, to me, it was uh, it was the standard uh, TNA pay-per-view at the time. Um, a lot of them do run together around this time as well. Um, what did you think of it? I know you watched it uh, the other night, didn't you? I did. Um, it just so happens to be available in its entirety on YouTube. Um, it, it really hearkened back to me to those WCW cards of like the late nineties, um, there was like a little bit of something. So the the preliminary matches and the mid card um, were always really entertaining, like young hungry guys looking to step up. And then as you got further up the card, you had your older or more established guys, um, you know, that you were really paying to see. So. You got the best of both worlds, really. It's a, a good event from top to bottom. And this was the second to last match of the night. So the object of the Doomsday Chamber of Blood match is that you can only pin your opponent once they've been busted open. So 
we start off with one of those nice grainy video packages that TNA used to do, making it clear that all the focus is on Abyss, and rightly so, as he'd been the primary focus going into the match. Now, before we begin, another trope of TNA at this time, we are reminded of Adam Pacman Jones, the greatest tag team champion in TNA history. The man that pins Sting. Never forget that, Chris. He pins exactly. Sting in the middle exactly. of the ring. One, two, three. One, two, three. What a waste of space he was. 100%. I mean, oh, I just I have no idea what they were thinking about that. He, had, he was under a no-touch policy where nobody could touch him on television. No, you couldn't even tap him on the shoulder. If you watch every single one of his matches... Uh, Ron Killings is doing all of the bumps and everything like that. He's just standing on the apron and then getting the pin. But the fact that he pinned Sting in the middle of the ring still drives me crazy. Absolutely. So this guy had um, debuted on this event. And uh, I don't know what TNA were thinking because this guy was fresh off firing a loaded gun into a strip club. So obviously the fans were not going to get behind him. So straight away, they were trying to put him with a, a baby face in Ron Killings, which they tried to do over a period of weeks. And they still went along with it. But nobody, nobody wanted to see him at all. Not even in the ring. They just didn't want to see him. So at a time like that, you would just cut your losses. I mean, not, not all publicity is welcome. No, absolutely not. I mean, this, I still don't know what's worse, uh, firing a loaded gun into a strip club or pinning Sting in the middle of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> they because are about on the same level, point, yeah. Sting wasn't even past his prime. He was still in his prime at this point. I mean, he, he obviously got older, but I mean, he could still go. And the fact that he was pinned by Pac-Man Jones, oh, just... Well, just the- the patrons of the strip club might have been in their prime, mate. You don't know. <laughs> anyway, so getting back to the wrestling. We cut to the ring and Christian's coalition come out together like the logical heels that they are. Now, this was during the I'm an absolute divvy era of AJ Styles, which was a waste of his talent. Um, at this time, he had no real character. But even so, just just play to the fact that he's good at what he does in the ring. Don't be making him a kayfabe idiot. Oh, God, this lasted for so long, didn't it? Over a year. Yeah, it did. And, um, yeah, I think he he was still playing the same character with um, Angle taking Christian's place, wasn't he? Yes, he was, yeah. I mean, they really dropped the ball on him at this time. He didn't get back to being as serious, I'd say, until at least 2009. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you kind of wonder why he didn't leave um, any earlier than he actually did in the end. I mean, you know, by by the time he did leave, he must have been at the end of his tether. Mm, definitely. I mean, uh, I'm sure he was uh, scared of uh, the comedy writing in the WWE, but here he was taking comedy writing from TNA. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But there you go. So the heels have done the logical thing and all come out together. So of course. The faces have got to show how superior to the heels they are by coming out separately, because that's what you do, isn't it, when there's three bullies at the other end of the ring? There is. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. So, for the good guys, Abyss comes out first and gets absolutely paggered by the baddies. 
which prompts the Punisher to weevil out of the ring. Um, he looks incredibly immobile on his entrance, doesn't he? Like he, this is a man that really shouldn't be running, especially no. down a slope. It really does, yeah, especially down the the ramp. But um, did you notice whose theme song he came out to, Chris? Um, I know it was that um, System of a Down ripoff that they liked, but I, I was really struggling to place whose music it was, but I, I knew I'd heard it before. This was the music of Vince Russo in the early days of TNA. When he was the director of Authority? Yes. Yes, that's it. Yeah, wonderful. But um, yeah, I was shocked to hear that I thought Vince Russo was coming out the uh, first time I watched this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But thankfully it was the Punisher and he does his best to defend Abyss as Tom Kerr gets in the ring to egg him on. And suddenly the lights go out and it's... It's... It's And out he comes with a chair shot right to the head. Now, that's not aged well, has it, mate? Absolutely not. It's something that I will probably be uploading to Twitter in the next coming days. <laughs> well, you've got to now, haven't you? you know. No, it, it really wasn't. In all seriousness, This uh, that was actually brutal to watch, especially to, right to uh, Tom Coe, right on top of his head, uh, busting him open. Yeah. So, the purpose of this match was that the Coalition are supposed to be trapped inside this cage so that they can't get away. And a lot of reviews of this match um, opine on the fact that currently this feature is being exposed because the Coalition are coming and going as they please. But it makes sense to me that they would want to get as much damage done as possible before getting in the ring. It does, doesn't it? I mean, because uh, logic, that's why... (laughs) Logic, exactly, exactly. Like not not everything has to be played to the book, you know, but there you no. go. So everybody pairs off. So Christian and Test continue their post-un-American feud. Sting takes it to Tomko, who is now busted open from either the chair or the announcer's table. And Abyss is giving it licks to AJ. So this is standard wear your opponent down fair here, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, um, I like that line you said about the un-American uh, post feud there because um, I wonder if, if this uh, had played out anymore, if they would have read, referenced that on television. Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, sadly we'll never know, will we? So, um, Abyss and AJ eventually get into the ring and they're duking it out before AJ kicks Abyss back out and hits a running tope to the outside, giving Christian and the Punisher a chance to get in the ring to showcase some of the Punisher's power, where he hits snake eyes, a wonderful big boot, and a majestic pump handle slam. Um, He definitely was the master of that move, wasn't he? He really was, yeah. It was definitely one of his best moves he could do. That's it. And, you know, he, he broke the deadlock of being a former WWE star, uh, doing a move like that without a bit of simulated bumming beforehand. <laughs> Very good Christian there, road dog, aren't you? <laughs> but anyway. He was, he was in the company at that point as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah, was it? Um, no, it wasn't the Three Live crew, was it? It was um, Voodoo Kid Mafia. Yeah, yeah, and the James Gang. Yeah, we've we've got to talk about that period, mate. 
Definitely coming could, soon. Yeah, coming. Yeah, coming definitely soon. Definitely soon. Yeah, we could unearth an awful lot with that. So Martin then attempts a pin, but Christian hasn't been busted open yet. At this point, Tomko comes into the ring, just as we go with another TNA trope at this time of cutting to the back where Pac-Man Jones is showcasing all of his Academy Award acting skills, getting loaded into an ambulance. I, uh, for, for everyone listening, I messaged uh, Chris about this when I was watching it. I was furious at the um, at the idea of cutting backstage during one of your semi-main events. And also the acting, as Chris just said, uh, was absolutely atrocious. Uh, it was like he didn't care. He wasn't injured. He wasn't hurt because obviously they had that um, no touch policy on him, on Pac-Man Jones. Um, they couldn't. Uh, so they just had to do like a 1960s Batman thing and just have him appear on the floor uh, without showing any attack. So this uh, drove me up the wall, absolutely up the wall. Yeah. And it took away from what was going on in the ring, uh, which, yeah. again, like I said, TNA did this a lot at the time. They they, they would uh, they, they just wouldn't let things breathe. I mean, they'd, they'd do it a lot at, at the end of matches, say, if like, someone's won a title or something like that. Um, one of the great things about somebody winning a title is that you get to see the celebration afterwards. At this point, TNA didn't believe in that, unfortunately. They had to get things out as soon as possible, you know, bang, 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 bang. They could have shown this at any time. It didn't need to be shown during a match, but... No, definitely not. I mean, they could have just played after the match. And then, I mean, this wasn't the main event, so they could have just had it after. Yeah. But we eventually do cut back to the ring. And inside the ring are Abyss, Tomko, The Punisher, Christian and AJ. So Tomko's going wild with a chair as the Coalition are then fighting to prevent Sting getting in eventually chaining the door shut for a three-on-two advantage, which is clever. You know, you'd do that if you were a baddie, wouldn't you? You know, it's it's about, you know, giving yourself that leg up. It is. And we then start getting to, um, you know, some of the elements of how to cut an opponent open. So Christian finds a bag of broken glass, luckily, and goes to town on Abyss, including a nasty-looking slash to his left arm with lots of lovely close-ups of uh, of glass on skin. This was... Uh, the use of glass was something new that, that WWE was not doing at this time, and I don't think they yeah. have done it. Um, but I remember at this point, I had uh, my own little wrestling federation with my wrestling toys, and I remember being uh, inspired by this match to just find some glass, break it into tiny pieces, and then have my own glass matches. Um, but yeah, this was like with the wrestling figures, just um, have like just see who would win and things like that. So yeah. <laughs> This was, um, yeah, it was something new. I mean, they would have this a lot with Abyss. This would beco- become part of his gimmick for about a year. Yeah, it was. Like, he was he was their hardcore guy, wasn't he, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but this, the tacks and the glass are the most things that he's remembered for. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, there was nothing wrong with that. If, if he was prepared to do that, then then fair enough. It was, it was obviously in his wheelhouse, wasn't it? Yeah, and it all worked out in the end because now he's the producer for the WWE. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's worked hard and he's earned his spot. And he's apparently doing really well. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's quite liked as a producer as well, which is lovely. I mean, he made a uh, appearance on SmackDown a few years ago. And I remember the internet blowing up and thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and he's a, a nice guy to boot as well. Um, I've met him a couple of times when he was over for 1PW, and he's yeah, he's, he's a really nice guy. That's cool. Definitely. So, uh, commentary start ramping up a little bit here, so they're calling attention to Sting's plight while the match is going on, which was good. Um, as we get the odd yucky close-up on Abyss. So, the Punisher starts fighting back as best he can, before we see Sting with a wire cutter cutting the barbed wire on the top of the cage to try and climb in, which was a nice, clever touch, wasn't it? Yep, it was, and the barbed wire just cut away so easily, didn't it, as if it wasn't real? Exactly, yeah, like it was kept on with cable ties, but there you go. <laughs> um, and AJ takes a, a nasty-looking shot to the head with the blade of the cutters as he climbs up to try and stop him, um, and Tom Coe gets a bit of a punch as well. Tom Coe, uh, for everyone listening, is probably coming to our show at some point. <laughs> I, I will correct you there, mate. Uh, Tomko is definitely coming to our show at some point. Absolutely. So Sting prevails over these two big baddies and Bulldog's styles on his way into the ring, which was an awesome way to get into the ring, wasn't it? It really was, yeah. I mean, I don't think he could do this now. <laughs> no, but with Sting in the ring, it is now a fair fight. And the Stinger runs wild with splashes for all before Tomko stops him in his tracks with a chair shot to the back. If it was me, I would have probably returned the favour, given the nasty-looking shot he gave to Tomko, but he's obviously a better man than I am. So Abyss takes splashes from AJ and Christian, who then attempts another pin, before Abyss kicks out again. I mean, he's the real Iron Man in this match, isn't it? Like, it's really showcasing his toughness. Hulk Hogan in 2010 compared Abyss to John Cena, so I think maybe this is where he got the idea from. <laughs> now, that's a rap album I would have liked to have heard. If you've ever heard um, Abyss speak properly, he's got quite the squeaky voice. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Christian empties the glass onto the mat in a really nice close-up shot before Abyss attempts to choke slam him before Tomko intercepts that, who then takes a chair-assisted big boot from the Punisher, leading Christian to decide he's had enough, and he escapes the cage, the big coward. Wow, I can't believe that. I mean, that's something that you would not expect from Christian, was it? Oh, no, no, that's that's not like him to be a, a weasley little heel, is it? Totally out of character. Totally out of character. Talking about of character, Styles tries to do the same thing, but he's foiled and then fired off into the corner by the Punisher. Styles then gets thrown into the path of Abyss, who hits a sweet black hole slam onto the broken glass, which apparently cuts Styles' back, according to Don West. I, I don't know how true that is. He looked like he didn't have a mark on him. It was sugar glass. <laughs> it must have been. But Abyss gets the pin and the win, at 10 minutes and 51 seconds, gifting him a shot at Kurt Angle's World Championship. I can't believe this was only 10 minutes. Mm. I mean, all of this effort just for a quick 10 minutes, uh, it was, it's very surprising. I mean, there was a lot that happened, wasn't there? An awful lot, uh, but it was it was a good match. I, I, it was good for what it was, like a, a bit of quick plunder uh, before the main event. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, during this time, uh, Sting had 
had competed in most of those uh, crazy match concepts like the last rides and the uh, prison yards uh, matches. And this was another one where he 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 was going hardcore in 2007. He was doing the old big Foley thing. Yeah, he was because um, that year he he had he had the feud with Abyss before they allied off, didn't they? It was yeah. all to do with um, the sinister minister manipulating him, was it? Yeah, this uh, that was last year going into this year, so they were still mm. in the program together. So yep, Sting. I think it ended up with, I think it was Abyss hanging upside down. I have this image in my head of him hanging upside down from the arena. Um, right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy time. Yeah, but I mean, this is a time in TNA that I really enjoyed. Um, I mean, I know. I mean, I've I've said things about Vince Russo in the past, but. I think he worked well with a committee here because I know I think Dutch Mantel and Scott Damore were probably involved as well with creative at this time. Um, and I think when he when he had somebody with him uh, to kind of taper some of his ideas off a bit, um, I, th- I think he showed what he could do. And I, this this period of, of TNA for me was a very enjoyable time. Definitely. Yeah. So the Punisher had a good debut overall and he must have been optimistic of his chances in TNA I mean if his blog post had been anything to go by at least which makes what happened next a bit disappointing Danny why don't you tell us what happened well uh it came out a couple nine days later that uh, he had been let go from TNA um due to uh what the rumor was because he looked too big because uh, Stevie Richard had Stevie Richards had come come done a uh, terrible terrible thing, and got a lot of people looked at uh, in the wrestling industry. So Test looking the way he did uh, wasn't going to cut it. So at this time, for context, TNA was really trying to beef up their roster um, with uh, names that they could find. They hired the Basham brothers, which are my favourite tag team of all time. They hired Rikishi, they hired Matt Morgan, and they hired Test in a single month. And they were trying to, and they, by October, they were going to beef up their um, roster so they could expand to two hours. Uh, but unfortunately for Test, he was let go. Yeah, he was. Um I mean, he had been told that he would come back to the company when he loses considerable weight, a.k.a. get off the glass, the glass, the gas. But, um, yeah, he he stuck out like a sore thumb at a time Mm. where United States Congress were investigating wrestling as a whole, unfortunately. They were. They were. I mean, you saw it on the other side of WWE as well when they had that mass suspension of... Everybody from Edge to Funaki getting uh, suspended. The the Stevie Richards crimes really did um, mess things up, didn't it? They did, definitely. So, on December the 19th, 2007, Martin announced his retirement from professional wrestling, stating that he would do one final tour of Ireland in March 2008 before retiring permanently mentioning that he did not want to be a wrestler who, despite talk of retirement, persistently returns. So he embarked on a retirement tour, taking in France mostly, where he would lose to René Dupree in a series of matches. However, he did wrestle two more matches in Japan in 2009, 
defeating Lance Hoyt on February the 1st and Mitsuya Nagai on February the 3rd of that year, which would be his final matches. Have you seen any of his retirement tour at all, buddy? I've only seen the match with Rene Dupree, but um, yeah, it was really good. Uh, I was shocked that he... uh, had actually dropped the way uh, that TLA wanted him to drop and uh, he yeah. stepped down a bit and he got a lot of new tattoos as well. Um, how about yourself, Chris? Yeah, so um, I've I've only seen one of the Rene Dupree matches myself, actually. Um, OSW Review did a video review of Had Justice 2007 and they showed some of the footage from this Rene Dupree match as well so yeah that's about as much of it as i've seen i i did try to find some of the japanese matches because um internet library archive do some sometimes quite a a treasure trove for like um obscure japanese promotions but i couldn't find anything at all but uh there was nothing really on cage match either for what people thought of it so and i i imagine they're a loss to the ether yeah unfortunately um like you said uh I mean the uh, the the website I use as well. Um, that's the same one I use uh, to. Go- I found a load of um, Lou Ferrain's uh, Japanese matches from 2001, and I was like, wow. I thought that would be on there, but no, nah, unfortunately not. No, uh, they've actually got a lot of stuff from. Um, do you remember a company called Hustle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was like um, Japan's attempt to kind of have a WWE style promotion. Um, it, it was mental, absolutely mental. But I, I loved it. You know, um, you know the likes of um, Matt Morgan in a in a ball gag as um, Sodom or Gomorrah, one of the two. Um, but yeah, that that's going to be some some fun stuff to unearth as well because that certainly is in a dusty corner of the internet. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we'll get into that. We certainly will. We certainly will. So um, yeah, so his career seems to just peter out before the 2000s ended however a couple of years ago an interesting video surfaced on youtube containing snippets of test from an interview that had been taken from a documentary isn't that right mate yep it's something that i was looking for for years at that point um from a uh, documentary called uh, Blood Circus uh, for, uh, that was supposed to be coming out in 2009 but I don't think it ever ended up getting released but somebody finally has uploaded a couple of clips from it including this test interview that we'll be talking about um, yeah I was actually really shocked that somebody posted this and it gave a really good view into where Test's mindset was when it comes to wrestling at least in 2008 yeah so the video itself it covers an awful lot of topics and um, the kind of topics that you would suggest for the time of year that it was filmed as well so rather than kind of going into every single topic that they cover which would make for a very long and rambling bit of dialogue from me uh, we're just going to insert the audio from that video clip into here now I mean, I'm not going to play stupid. I mean, this is a business that, you know, you pay to see big guys. I mean, give me a break. I mean, this isn't the 80s anymore. I mean, steroids, you do steroids, you're stupid at this point in life. Um, But, you know, it's definitely a sport that needed to be cleaned up and is being cleaned up. Um, You know, proper measurements are being taken. But, I mean, 
Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, it's a tough it's a tough deal. I mean, especially for guys like myself, I've broken my neck. You know, my back's bad. I mean, you can't get in this business. I'm, I just turned 32 years old. You know, like I'm I'm beat up. Honestly, you know, when I, when it happened, I was gonna retire. Um, I lost my job because of it. I broke my neck and I lost my job because they couldn't afford. They said they couldn't afford to pay me while I was home for a year. Um, what drove me is because I wanted to stick it up their ass. That's the only thing that drove me to go back. I went back for a year, wasn't my cup of tea anymore, and I just walked away. You know, I, I was smart enough with my money and everything else that I can walk away. I mean, a lot of guys aren't. I mean, this is when I got into the business in '98. It was hot. It was the hottest thing going. Now it's the UFC is hotter than wrestling. You know, wrestling's a tough business to get into. I wouldn't rec- like people ask me how get into wrestling. I go back to school, man. Because you know what, you're not going to make any money now. Uh, it's very political. You're a puppet. Oh, that's all you are, basically. I mean, wrestling. You commented on wrestling is fake. I know a lot of guys don't like that term. Wrestling is fake. Give me a break. You go pretending to beat somebody up. I mean, that's the gist of it. I mean, is it an art? Sure. Is it physical? Sure. It's not UFC. It's not like that. But I mean, you're a puppet, basically, and you Vince pulls your strings or whoever the promoter is pulls your strings. And you do what they say. I loved it. It was always something that I loved since I was a kid. But being in the business and seeing what it's really like, you know, takes its toll on you, not just physically, but mentally as well. I mean, it's something that you're on the road 300 days a year. You lose track of who you really are, man. Like, for sure. It's either you sit in your room and go crazy or you go out and party. I mean, that's all. That's basically how it is. So, I mean, you fall into a rut sometimes on the road. That's how a lot of guys get caught in this rut. But, I mean, it's, it's the nature of the business. <laughs> I'm very outspoken. I mean, in, in this business, I've always spoke my mind, which is probably the biggest mistake you can do. You know, I always let Vince know when I didn't like something, which is a huge mistake. But that's the way I am, man. And uh, a lot of people take me the wrong way, think I'm mean or think I'm a dick, you know, whatever. Um, that's, those are people who don't really know me. I mean, my friends who know me, sure, they're great. I mean, in this business, it's very political. You try to, you know, kiss ass, I guess, to the top guy. I don't kiss anybody's ass, man. I never would, never have. So a lot of the top guys don't like me because of that. But, you know, I'm not going to kiss your ass, you know? No, I was supposed to enter as part of DX, and they, wouldn't, they didn't want me. Hunter and Sean said no. I don't look back on it like that, man. You know, you can't, that's like I said, you got to leave it behind. You know, are you going to walk around, am I going to walk around bitter because Hunter stole my storyline or whatever, you know, is the perception of it? It doesn't really matter. I mean, that's the way they wanted it. That's the way that I gave it, you know. I'm just paid to do what I'm told. Man, I had, a, you know what, uh, I used to drive with Val Venus and Prince Albert, A-Train, um, those guys were my real friends and I mean we rode together and just we used to do crazy stuff and pranks prank each other and you know you got to I mean you're on the road 300 times a year you're gonna go crazy if you don't and uh, those are my happiest times in this business I mean with those guys when business when business the business was good I don't want to travel anymore man I hate it I've been on a plane two times in my life before I started wrestling two times now, I'm on, now, you know, when I was wrestling all the time with WWE, I was on a plane like four or five times a week. It's horrible, man. Like, I just, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. I need, I'm not saying, you know what, I'll never go back because I'm still young. 
I might have one more run left in me, but you know what? I need at least another year off, at least. You know, it's just, it just takes its toll on you, man. It really does. I just lost Brian Adams. He was a really good friend of mine. He lived in Tampa. I mean, Chris Benoit, great guy, man. You asked me to list five guys in the dressing room who were the best guys. Chris would be on that list. I don't know what the I don't know what the fuck happened, man. I don't, I don't get it. You know what? I, I never will. But uh, I don't know. If you're gonna ask me, I guess I guess it's just the business. The business, you know, it got to him somehow. Uh, Owen was a great, great guy, great family guy. Um, I worked my first WrestleMania with him, and I'll never forget that man. Seeing him dead like that, it was just, just something you can't. You never want to see it. It's just something you never want to see, and I don't, you know, I hope, I hope nobody ever sees it again. Horrible. I mean, were you there when it happened? Yeah, standing right there. It was just, it's ho it was horrible. You know what? It's something you try not to think about. It's something I've tried to forget about. A lot of stuff in this business I've tried to forget about. Man, it's, this business can weigh heavy on your shoulders. Either you take it home with you or you leave it. And I try to leave it all behind. It's horrible. It's been the worst year of my life. You know, without question, I've just turned 32 years old and I went to eight funerals this year. I mean, I shouldn't be going to, going to funerals at 32 years old. But as bad as this may sound, it gave me, it opened my eyes. It made me take my foot out of the grave and step back and say, what am I doing? Do I want to be, do I want to join that club? Hell no, I don't want to join that club. So either you clean up, straighten up, or you lay down beside them. So, I mean, it was an eye opener. I took back, straightened up, and I feel great. You can't think you're going to be next. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're thinking you're next and you got a problem, you need to clean, either clean yourself up or just walk away from the business. I mean, yeah, you can say whatever about the business, and sure, it, it takes its toll on your body, and you can fall into a rut with pills and painkillers and everything else. But Vince McMahon's not holding a gun to your head telling you to take painkillers or whatever. I mean, you, you want to blame somebody for that, look in the mirror. I mean, it's plain and simple. Um, when somebody dies, if, you know, everyone, put it this way, everyone who's died has had a problem, without question. And, um, I mean, look in the mirror. I mean, if you think you're going to die, then walk away. This isn't worth your life. This is not a business you get into now. Wait till it's hot again, at least. I mean, you want to make money? Those guys in WWE aren't even making money. So, I mean, how do you think you're going to make money in this business? You know, go back to school. Get a real job. You know what? And this probably is going to be taken the wrong way. And I don't mean it to come across this way, but I'm at a point now where I'm just... I don't want that anymore. I don't want people to recognize me. I just, I just want to be me. I just want to be Andrew. I don't want to be Test anymore. Or, you know, I'm, me, I'm a human being. It's like people, when they see me, all they want to talk about is wrestling, but I don't want to talk about wrestling. Like, I just want to talk, you know, you want to talk to me, talk to me about normal stuff. You know, I don't talk to you about your job 24-7. I know you're on TV, you know, people think you have a thing, but you know what, I've been doing this 10 years. It's like, I've had enough of that. Of that. It's just like, you, you get really, it, it is an honor at first, but now it's kind of like when you're walking away, you just want to walk away. It's like when you walk away from this business, you need to leave it behind.
if you don't leave it behind, you're going to take it for the rest of your life. What if, what if this? I'm not going to be sitting there when I'm 60 or 50 or 40 telling, oh, yeah, back in the day when I used to wrestle rock. You know, I don't want to hear, no one wants to hear that kind of stuff. So, you know, I just want to walk away, man. That I'm actually honestly very shy and I like to stay to myself. People think, you know, big guy, blah, 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 boisterous. You know, I'm not really, you know, I, to me, a perfect night is just going out for dinner and a movie and coming home, man. That's a perfect night for me. What are your passions, though? Are you a football fan? Do you like video love, games? Love, love NFL football. I love Canadian football, too. I'm being, you know, Canadian. No, I hate video games. I don't know. I have, like, every game in the world, and it's still in its package because people give them to me. But um, I, don't, I hate video games. Um, it's just, you know what? To me now, it's my passion is just enjoying my, my life right now because since I can remember... Like, the thing is, now that I've walked away and I've had some time, I'm 32, but I feel like I'm 23. Shut up. You know, I don't, to be honest with you. It's just something where I, I'm at a point in my career where it's just, I've had it. I've had enough. I'm good. I'm, I'm in a good, great place right now. You know what? It was my dream just to make it. And I made it. And I did a lot of stuff. I mean, I got 35 action figures made after me. You know, that's, that's cool. Okay, so I can walk away from this. Like I've walked away. To me, I've walked away already. I'm done, and I've walked away, and I'm just like, good. No, I'm good. Like, life is good now. You just doing nothing? Nothing, dude. I like to sit at home and just chill. So what's your dream day? My dream day is, I have them every day. Because you know what, I'll work maybe once a month, tops, and that's enough for me. I get up. Usually around 7 o'clock, have a nice big breakfast, go out for breakfast, come home, watch some TV, get up, go out for lunch, come home, maybe go for a swim, soak up some sun, play with my dogs, play with my girlfriend, and then that's it, man. Go out for dinner, a movie, perfect. Good. Good day. So do you feel like you played your cards right? You're living the life you want now. You got out before it was too late. Definitely. True? I definitely played my cards right. I mean... I was smart with my money. I invested it when I could. I knew that this wasn't going to last forever. Uh, I got a great life now. Uh, I don't party. I don't enjoy partying. It's just I got a great girlfriend I live with. I hang out with her, and that's it, man. That's what life is about, you know. It's just about chilling out and enjoying it, man. For all the guys who are in the ground, not enjoying it. All right, cool. Good high note. Thank you very much for your time. I no problem, man. Okay, mate. So that's the video. So um, it, he doesn't hold back at all, does he? Absolutely not. Um, it, to me, I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, but to me it felt like he was very hurt by the business um, and he was uh, sort of bitter. Um, what did you think about it? Well, I mean... You could make that impression, to be honest. I mean, I'll I'll agree that he doesn't hold anything back. Um, I kind of got the impression that while while he did have some gripes, um, I think that he was happy that he kind of walked away when he did as well, while still being quite free and open with his advice. I mean, he he talked about his frustrations, um, and it probably did dominate the conversation a bit more than maybe the makers of the documentary wanted 
But I, I think he kind of hit just the right level of kind of going through some of his frustrations um, while also trying to give some advice. I mean, did you want to discuss some of the finer points now or...? Um, yeah, it was not too much, but because um, I'll leave it to the people to understand. But um, I think uh, the biggest thing that went away was like um, when they asked him if he was going to uh, wrestle again, he was like, no, I'm finished. I'm finished. I don't want to talk about wrestling anymore. He hates getting recognised in the street. Uh, he just wants to live a normal life. And I just thought kind of just, wow, just I was shocked that he was, uh, he was uh, I'm, I'm wondering if he was paid for this interview. <laughs> Yeah, you do wonder. I mean, he he looked like it was taken from a uh, maybe a a movie set or something like that, where they might have come to him. But because um, I, I know he'd done a few um, a few movies at this point, I think he'd appeared in a couple of things. Yeah. Um, I think what, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me is that he he kept coming back to the point of like wrestling needing to be cleaned up, um, including his own issues with kind of um, substance abuse and poor pain management um, and of course he he looks at the number of deaths that there'd been in wrestling at that point I mean we're talking about 2009 here you know there were a lot of people dying too soon for one reason or another um, and especially as well you know he talks about the death of Owen Hart um, you know talks about some of the close relationships that he had in in wrestling as well and how a lot of that was connected to kind of what he was going through um but definitely yeah i mean i'm i am more than happy to let the audio speak for itself because he he leaves no stone unturned really and it's um it's it's just a, a lovely piece of audio really I, I thought it really is it's um a rare rare interview uh and build has his last interview as well but every so often uh, you'll see like an audio show uh turn up or something like that so maybe he did one more before he passed away Maybe you did, maybe you did. Um, but um, around this time, um, in fact, on the 13th of March 2009, Andrew Martin was found dead in his Tampa apartment four days prior to his 34th birthday. Police had been contacted after a neighbour reportedly realised that Martin had been motionless on his couch for some time, seeing him through a window outside his apartment which prompted the neighbour to call 911. The authorities retrieved Martin's body after scaling his balcony and confirming that he was indeed dead. Toxicology reports revealed that Martin's death was caused by an accidental overdose of the prescription pain medication oxycodone, but it had also been reported that in August 2008, Martin had entered a drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre after reaching out to WWE for help regarding his substance abuse troubles. It was later determined by forensic pathologist Dr. Bennett Omalu that Martin had severe chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, which is a brain condition caused by repeated concussions and subconcussive head injuries that can cause severe headaches, mood swings, depression and or aggressive behaviour. His body was cremated and his remains were flown to his family in his hometown of Whitby, Ontario. So Danny, after talking about so many deaths in wrestling during his interview, this was sad news indeed, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, there, there was another interview. Um, I can't, I couldn't find it for this, but he said, uh, "I'm going to walk away from this. This is not going to ruin my life." Um, and uh, in regards to wrestling, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was really, it was, 
very shocking to um, hear that he died at such a young age. Um, I just remember going on, uh, rest, I think he was Wrestling Inc. and finding out and saying, no way, no way, this, that's just insane. He's uh, passed away like that. It was just, yeah, very, very shocking. It was. I mean, I was I was still buying newspapers at this time and it was. Uh, it even had a few column inches in the Daily Mirror. That was how I found out about it on the walk to work, of all things. Just, uh, wow. Yeah, uh, very, very sad. I mean, it's it's sad when anybody dies before their time. But um, from doing the the research on this prior to recording the episode, like you, you look at so much that he had going for him at, at that time and, and the things that he wanted to do with his life. And it, it's just a shame that he never got to see them through. Definitely. But... Thankfully, he was a guy that was well-liked by his peers and he received many tributes following his death. Um, The former WWE diva Kelly Kelly, who had previously dated Andrew, posted, You were my world, my best friend, the one I always ran to. You were always there for me. What happened to our plan? Why did God take you away from me? My heart is always with you and you only. I know you're in heaven watching over me now, my angel. Which is sad, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I'd never heard that before. Wow. No, well, I mean, I mean, they'd, they'd still remained close. And um, a, a little bit that I missed out of the quote there is that they had also been talking about getting back together. So it is a shame, really. Uh, I mean, he was, he was a guy that um, a lot of former divas do say was kind of someone that was a true friend to them um, and he, he did seem like one of life's good guys so you know such a shame um, and then speaking to Slam Wrestling former WWE referee Dave Hebner said I don't know what happened but Test was a good guy he was an average wrestler who really got in the ring and put everything he had into it I think he could have been better if they gave him a nice big push to do something different with him to make him a champion like that Test always went to the ring and gave nothing but his best. You could see high that. high praise there. Yeah, very much high praise uh, from such an evil referee. Uh, yes, of course, yeah, the, the evil twin um, <laughs> yeah. from the Andre Hogan match. Yeah, but no, in seriousness, um, yeah, it was just a big shock, wasn't it? Just, uh, it was. I'd, I'd never heard that either. No, exactly. Well, I mean, um, I, I got a lot of the... Um, information that i'm gleaning from now from um the uh, the old slam wrestling site which is a, a canadian wrestling site so they they tend to focus a lot more on on canadian workers um this was also from it as well this was from uh, the father of wwe's matt bloom by the name, guy by the name of mike bloom who mentioned that he had met with test the week before his passing and had said i'm right near where andrew was living that's why he drove out to see me a week before he passed we met we talked. He'd cleaned up. He was pretty straight. He looked great. His body looked good and his mind was sound. He was good. We, we talked about his father and stuff, just about his family. He was speaking clearly when I saw him. So he seems to be in a good place. Yeah, he really does. Yeah. And then the final bit of information I could find was from a interview with Bob Martin, who was Andrew's father. Um, in which he revealed that um, Andrew had successfully completed a rehabilitation programme 
and was about to commence a personal trainer's certification course. Um, and yeah, just to say again, it was so unfortunate that he never got to live his life after wrestling. Mm, definitely, especially that young of an age. Yeah. And something else that was unfortunate, but for different reasons, was that following Andrew's passing, the WWE failed to acknowledge his death outside of a rudimentary post on their website, which is absolutely disgusting. It really is. I mean, uh, that's something that just is just mind blowing, isn't it? If you think about all the tributes they've done for everyone. But uh, I mean, not even a mention on Raw or SmackDown or anything, was there? I know. I mean, this is a guy that had been a major part of their television in two separate eras, the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era. But I mean, does this this seems to me that they were trying to avoid paying homage to somebody with previous substance issues at a time where they were being watched like a hawk due to the Benoit tragedy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just ah, oh, it's just disgusting. It's disgusting indeed. Um, and I don't want to dwell on the negativity of that. No, um, I will say even TNA uh, acknowledged something on their website, but. Um, and that was shocking because he'd only made uh, two appearances for him. That's the thing. And, I mean, it, it it speaks to the kind of company that they were and that once once you were with them, you know, they, they considered you important enough to be acknowledged at times like this, um, which is really positive. Um, so staying on that positive note, um, you know, we have spent um, just under an hour and a half celebrating a guy that had a surprisingly noteworthy career. And it's it's only when you dig into his history in wrestling that you see he was actually involved in a lot of things. So, on that note, Danny, if it was up to you, would you put Andrew Martin in the WWE Hall of Fame? Absolutely, yeah. I think he deserves it. Um, I think uh, the best person to induct him would be uh, Albert, uh, a.k.a. Matt Bloom. Um, or somebody like that. Just uh, yeah, I think he has more than a, as you said. He he was a major part in two separate um, eras of WWE. Um, how about yourself, Chris? I agree. Um, I, I really do. I mean, he's this is a guy that yeah, he he did so much um, in his career with them. Um, he will be synonymous with them, and I th- I think you're right. Um, it it would have to be Matt Bloom that inducts him because. Um, in 2022, I'm not giving Valvinus a microphone. <laughs> Can you imagine what he'd come out with? Flipping heck. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you look at his Twitter. Um... <laughs> exactly. I mean, Vince would love it because he's also a, a right-wing nut job. Yeah. Probably. Don't sue me, Vince. Um, <laughs> I mean, he would love it, but it would be definitely playing to an audience of one. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Valvina's is just keep him away from any microphone, any YouTube video, anything you can find. Definitely. Um, have you seen that he's um, appeared back on Twitter recently as well? Oh, no, no. But um, oh, I can imagine just no. <laughs> yeah, the, the less said about it, the better. It's a, a one trick pony, but he, he rides it well, sadly. So, um, we asked for you lovely meat ciders opinions on test, and we did end up getting a couple. 
at least at the time of recording. So I'm sorry if we've missed anybody out. Uh, but Daddy Dan was a Punisher fan. And he commented that he always thought Test had the size and skill to be a top guy and looked great too. Plus, he used to do a pump handle slam finisher, which is one of the best moves of all time. So how could you not like Test? And how could you not like Test, Danny? Exactly. I mean, it's just impossible not to like Test, Chris. Exactly. Um, Even Daddy Rob agreed, um, in a sense, uh, by stating that Test was... Right enough. Now you can't get any more big a compliment than that, can you? Definitely not. He's a, a man of few words, but he uses the ones that count. So thank you to our pod parents for that. However, Danny, um, I wonder if we'll have just as much, if not more, opinion on the subject of our third episode. Buddy, it's yeah. your turn to choose. So well, please tell the boys and girls who we're going to be waxing lyrical about. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Another one that nobody really talks about is the great Sean O'Hare. And mm. uh, this is something uh, that is really sounds interesting. Um, I don't know a lot about his WCW career, so I'm really looking forward to getting into that. But um, without giving away too much, um, I really enjoyed his WWE career. Um, what will we will be discussing, Chris? Well, uh, first things first, buddy, uh, you have made me very happy because I was a huge fan of Sean O'Hare back in his WCW days. Um, I didn't watch a lot of WCW growing up, admittedly, but I used to keep up on the product through their magazine and there was lots of features on this um MMA style guy who was coming to WCW um, and of course they very quickly put him in with a a stable of young guys called the Natural Born Thrillers. So I expect we will be looking at um, his early background I imagine, Um, whatever is out there. We'll be covering his time in the power plant and his debut with the company I expect um, as well as looking at his eventual move over to the WWE as a result of WCW going under. And again, I expect we'll have plenty of time to talk about how they really dropped the ball with him. Definitely. I mean, uh, just one thing you will probably hear is um, there used to be a guy, uh, I think he was in California, that would wait outside of gyms and would uh, basically attack wrestlers with like a shoot-style interview. Sean O'Hare is one of the ones that he uh, did, so I'm glad we, uh, even though as as weird as that was, it's good to have uh, like a shoot-style interview with him. This was after his WWE career. This was in 2010. uh, Yeah, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting into that as well. Awesome. So I'm I'm glad you've mentioned that, mate. Um, I just wanted to take the time out to thank you for your painstaking research on this episode of Test. Um, everything has been based on um, everything that you found on the guy. Um, I, I know I've dominated the conversation a lot, but honestly, um, you've done all the hard work here finding this stuff. So again, mate, I just wanted to thank you for doing that because it's it's been really helpful. Oh, thank you, Chris. I couldn't have done this without you. And I've, it's been something I've wanted to talk about for a long time. Um, just, yeah, that I could not have done this without you. So thank you very much. Excellent. Well, again, it was something I wanted to look into. So I, I really appreciated you pointing a lot of this stuff 
my way. So uh, that is what you can look forward to on our next episode. However, before episode three, we are going to be debuting our first spin-off show on our main feed. And we are going to be calling this series Disgusting Awful. This is an opportunity for us to talk about another one of our shared passions, which is horror movies. Um, I've chosen first because I'm greedy like that. And we have an absolute masterpiece of the genre to review for our first episode as we delve into the depths of the Clive Barker classic Hellraiser. And I'm really looking forward to this, mate. Yeah, it's really going to be something interesting to listen to, isn't it? It definitely is, mate. Um, Yeah, I am a a huge fan of Clive Barker. Uh, This is one of my favourite films and... Yeah, it's, it's going to be nice just to discuss this. So look out for that in the next couple of weeks. Um, we will be back in four weeks on our main show topic where we're going to be looking at Sean O'Hare. And as mentioned, um, those episodes will be appearing exclusively on the UTT podcast feed. That's Unbooking the Territory if you're searching for that on your podcast feed which will then be appearing on the One Man's Meat podcast feed seven days from now. So with regards to the Unbooking the Territory family of podcasts, you can follow Unbooking the Territory at UTT podcast on Twitter. You can follow their other supplementary series, which is Unbooking the Tankatory, where they are talking about the career of the legendary Tank Abbott at UTT Tank. And we can be found at One Man's Meat Pod, where we'll be doing lots of plugging for future episodes, plugging our spin-off series, and of course, we will be badgering you guys for feedback. So do please take the opportunity because we love to shout you guys out. We have been very lucky to be part of an awesome, positive community on wrestling twitter they do exist um and we just want to share that love don't we dude absolutely yeah thank you everyone for listening um means the world i mean we're very early into this and um we've got a lot of um great people to thank as well we really do so danny with regards to social media or where the boys and girls can hear more of your rich buttery voice uh why don't you share those deets with us dude Yep, thank you very much. Um, yep, I'm on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. I may not sound Scottish, but trust me, I am in some way. <laughs> and uh, you can hear me on um, Nitro Nights with the great Cy Powell. And you can hear me on A Change in Attitude with Ori, Mags and Tanner, where we discuss the 1990s uh, Raw Attitude Era. And uh, yep, that's pretty much me. And uh, you can hear me here because uh, I'll be back next month. And where can we find you, Chris? Well, mate, um, you can hear me on here as well, because I will also be back next month. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter at Real Chris Bellis. I certainly do play this up to the hilt, but I am the Real Chris Bellis. If you happen to know a Chris Bellis or you see any other Chris Bellises on social media, they are liars and charlatans and I will hunt them down.
So that's that. Um, furthermore, I am always open to um, appearing on other people's projects. I am a massive attention whore and huge narcissist. So um, do please consider me if you would like to put your listeners to sleep. Um, also, my son is badgering me to record a Bumblebee podcast with him. He's three years old, so he's going to be rubbish. But I will, I will bring up the the quality there if we do ever decide to do it but that's me so my friends this has been fun as always we have loved talking to you about one of our heroes about a forgotten period in their timeline but as always darlings in the meantime and in between time stay beefy meat cider